Welcome to the weekly deep dive podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we explore the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I'm your host, Jason Lloyd, here with my friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What is up? Hey. So this episode is probably going to be a little bit different. Usually we're trying to sit here and explain things and teach things, but this is going to be a little bit more asking questions, right? We don't always have the answers, and I think this is going to be a little bit more exploratory than what we have done in the past. This is my kind of episode, because I don't know any of the answers, but I have a lot of (laughs) questions, and I do like um, parts of the Old Testament that talk about genealogy and lines like that, begats. You and your begatting. All right, so we're going to look at... Wait, are we talking about any of that today or no? No, no begatting. So in this episode, we're going to look at another instance... can we maybe talk about some of the begatting? I know you know about this stuff, Jason. <laughs> no, no, no begatting. No whatever, begatting man. on this show. Okay, whatever. All right, we'll begat another day. All right. Okay, in this episode. another day. <laughs> Live to begat another day. Live to begat another Dude, day. that's my motto on this show from now on. Would you like to get into any of the information? <laughs> what are you waiting for, Jason? In this episode, we're looking at another instance of the field being white and ready to harvest. I know we've hit that a few times. We have. It's repeated eight times in the Doctrine and Covenants. So we're going to take another perspective. So we got seven more. We're going, to, we're going to swing again. And then we're going to ask the question, why? Why Aaron to, receive, to restore the Aaronic priesthood? Why Aaron or why not Aaron? Excuse me. Thank you. Why John the Baptist? Why not Aaron? If we're talking about the Aaronic priesthood, which is named after Aaron, the Melchizedek priesthood, which is named after Melchizedek, why not have Aaron... And Melchizedek come back and restore the priesthood. Why Why have John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John? Can I ask a question right up, up front? Because um, this just came to me. Is it begatting? No, it's no begatting. This All right, is actually a real one. Why was the priesthood named after Aaron and Melchizedek in the first place? That's a great question. I'm just wondering because it's like those weren't like the first two dudes around. But the, the priesthood of Aaron was the first dude in the order of the Aaronic priesthood, as far as we know. Because before Aaron, it's Melchizedek priesthood. Only. Only. We've got the patriarchal order, and, and we've got a father that's presiding over the home, and he's offering sacrifices, and you've got Melchizedek. As far as I can see in the Old Testament now, I, I don't know, because there's a lot we don't know back in that time, but as far as I can see, the Aaronic priesthood isn't exercised until you get to Aaron, he is the first priest, and so from here, it goes. Okay, so then maybe you'll know the answer to this question: Why isn't it called the the Why isn't the Melchizedek priesthood called the Adamic priesthood? Like after Adam, you know what I mean? I guess I'm just saying, like, it was Adam exercising the Melchizedek priesthood? Yeah, it's a great question. I imagine he was. He did offer sacrifice. I I agree. I've always wondered that. And I mean, I'm, I I I look to you because you're the smart one here between the two of us. I'm just I was I've, it's something I've always wondered if Adam was exercising the Melchizedek priesthood, what did he call it? And it well, Doctrine and Covenants gives us that answer a little bit oh, later. Like the oh yeah 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 of, uh, of the order of yeah the, the the holy the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God. Okay, so that's what he called it. That Not, a, uh, and that, so God gave us just did us a favor by <laughs> saying, "Hey, Melchizedek is a really great high priest, so we're going to name it after him." And and maybe one of the crazy things about naming it after Melchizedek is we have to take their word for it because they say that he was such a great high yeah. priest, but almost nothing is said about him. We 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 we're don't totally get a taking lot. their word for it. I don't even know who they are, but we're totally taking their word for it. Is this <laughs> Moses in this case? In, in Doctrine and Covenants, when it oh, says okay. Melchizedek was All such right. a great high priest, that's right. It's not even in the Old Testament. 
Right. No, no, Melchizedek, uh, yeah, he does not show up a lot in the Old Testament, but he does show up a lot in, in Jewish legend, in apocryphal, pseudepigraphal text. Melchizedek, it, it does play out that he is a bigger player than what the Old Testament's letting awesome. on to. So you do see that confirming value with what Doctrine and Covenants is saying. It's awesome. So, but okay. honestly, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you exactly why it's named that way, but let's, we'll, 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 we'll dive into... We'll dive into that. First, let's get to our field is white and ready to harvest before we forget poor Joseph. Uh, it's my Joseph favorite Knight. thing. If I ever told you that's my favorite thing to talk about in the scriptures is the field. <laughs> it's even better than begatting? Oh, totally. Who okay. likes begatting? Okay. The field is white and all ready to harvest. In here, Joseph Knight steps in to fill a void, uh, a role that was very critical. Martin Harris um, had lost the 116 pages. Up until this point, he was financing the translation of the scriptures, which was causing a lot of angst for his wife, right? We've talked about this in previous episodes. He kind of fades into the background and takes a back seat. Oliver Cowdery stepping in, and he's filling the role of, tra- um, of scribe, but he's not financing it. You need somebody to help with a few things. And if I remember right, Joseph Knight even buys Joseph Smith a pair of shoes. He, he helps him out. He buys him ink. For, for translating, he buys them paper for translating. He'll give them rides, load them up in the wagon, and take them from place to place. Just what we would maybe consider small things. But it was a huge deal in keeping that work moving forward. And as we talked about in the last episode, the field being white and ready to harvest isn't always referring to missionary work, but it's referring more to gathering, unifying, and helping the Lord's work move forward. And sometimes... As Joseph Smith says later in the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, dearly beloved brethren, a very large ship is oftentimes benefited by a very small helm and keeping it workways with the storm. Gathering can be very small things that we feel inspired to do that help that, that work move along. As we're looking for ideas and how we can minister or, or how we can better serve in our callings, or what we can do to lift someone's day, or somebody's feeling sick and we put a little extra love and trying to cook a meal or help them out, or those little things that we're doing are really participating in, in the Lord's work. And it's kind of a redeeming... I mean, for me, reading that scripture apply to Joseph Knight and all of the things that he is trying to do to please the Lord makes it come together for me. And as we're talking about the field is white and ready to harvest, this, this scripture shows up at least a little bit in John, the New Testament, John chapter 4, verse 35, in a way that I think we should bring up here as we're talking about this. It says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. And so many times today, I think that we are waiting. Like, well, when Christ comes and the millennium happens or this happens, then I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to change. Then I'll quit doing this, or then I'll start doing that. Or maybe when I get a different calling, because I'm kind of burnt out on this, maybe I'll just wait a little bit until I get something that's going to work better for me, and then I'll start harvesting. But really, I think the key is, Don't say there's four more months. Don't say it's going to happen down the road. The field is already white. Find those little things. Even if it's not a big thing, find something now that helps you feel like you're engaged in contributing. 
Are we going to pretend like um, that we haven't all at least at one point thought as soon as two apostles get killed over in Jerusalem, we have three days left to do all the repenting? When, when I see Christ dressed in red and, and the whole world's turned against Jerusalem and he says, where did you get those wounds? And they say, I received it in the house of my friends. That's when I'm cleaning my, my bedroom. bedroom. That's, what, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be me in the bedroom on my knees like, look, I tried. You know I tried. I'm, I'm ready now. I'm, I'm ready gonna, now. I'm, I'm going to take a good go at it. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to amplify my calling. I'm going to do all those things. Well, it's just like it says in Alma. You cannot say in that day that I will repent. You cannot say because the same Spirit that possesses us, it's going to be. The, we're the same. We we are ingraining ourselves. And the big thing to understand about repentance and and this idea is not that all of a sudden we can change like a flip of a light. It is. A work in progress. We are constantly trying to be somebody else. We're trying to be like Christ. Not that we lose our identity or our personality, but that we become more Christ-like in how we behave. And that process doesn't happen overnight. Let's not wait. Let's engage in that now. Yeah, but you did think of that at least once or twice as a child, right? (laughs) I'm I'm sure everyone has. I still think of that sometimes. All right. I'm trying to be better, Jason. Hey, at least you're honest, right? At least you're honest. I'm trying. There you go. That's a good start. All right. Let's let's dive into the let's dive into the unknown a little bit. And and the question asked, at least the question I think about when I read this, why why John the Baptist? Why not Aaron? Why not Melchizedek? And and I think it's a good question. And and I'm not here to tell you I have an answer, but here's here's a few thoughts anyways. The Aaronic priesthood, in order to understand what, what's going on here, the Aaronic priesthood is considered a preparatory priesthood. It's preparatory for what? And a lot of our minds, we think, okay, it's preparatory for the Melchizedek, because the Melchizedek priesthood got removed with Moses, and they had the Aaronic to prepare them for, for when they could have the Melchizedek priesthood again. And if that's the case, then what's the Melchizedek priesthood for? So, the Melchizedek priesthood, according to Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, it says that the ordinances of the Melchizedek priesthood are there to bring us into the presence of God. So if that's the case, the Aaronic priesthood is to prepare us to meet God, and the Melchizedek priesthood is to bring us into the presence of God. And it says in Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, now this Moses plainly understood and taught because he was trying to prepare Israel to enter into God's presence. And he told them, wash yourselves, prepare yourselves, for God is going to come down and he's going to be in your midst. And, and they said, no, no thanks. You know, you do the talking with God and we'll do the whatever you say afterwards, but we would rather not be in his presence. They kind of rejected that, and for that, Moses and the priesthood was pulled from his presence. Well, was it, wasn't God even like upset about that? I, I don't know. I might be misremembering this. But when they basically said, no, no thanks, I mean, does it talk about how God felt about this? It does. Doctrine and Covenants section 84, right? He, he, he was a little bit um, miffed. In fact, <laughs> in fact, if you, if you want the Hebrew... <laughs> yeah, I, no, wait, hold on. I don't want the Hebrew because miffed, I feel like, actually uh, sums it up pretty well. Well, you can give me the Hebrew if you want to, but Hebrew, what's the Hebrew for Hebrew miffed? makes makes him out to be like Pinocchio, like his nose was length. Like, if if, if if anger is all associated with your nose, if your nose gets bigger, then you're mad. Wow. 
And and it and I, I shouldn't have said Pinocchio because now you've got the wrong image, and I don't want you thinking God with this nose that's just extending out there every time he looks at his people because he's lying in his yeah. mind. No, it has more uh, like your nostrils are flaring, so okay. your nose is 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 getting bigger because you're breathing sense. heavy, right? The the anger of the Lord is kindled. Yeah, he he wasn't too happy. We'll but just what's stick the with Hebrew myth. for miffed? <laughs> Large nosed. Okay, fantastic. All right, so. The children of Israel rejecting God. Okay, yeah. Going back to this idea then, if the Aaronic priesthood is to prepare us to the presence of God, let's just take a look at how the Aaronic priesthood does that. The ordinances of the Aaronic priesthood is entering into a covenant with them through baptism. It's the sacrament. It's it's this covenant making and this cleansing process to prepare us so that we're clean, right? And then the ordinances of the Melchizedek priesthood, those those are found in the temple, and the ordinances of the Melchizedek priesthood are the ordinances that take us back into his presence, that passes through the veil in the presence of the Lord. If we're talking about two priesthoods with the role of preparing us for the coming of the Lord and the other one for entering into the presence of the Lord, then in my mind, who better to restore those ordinances than John the Baptist, who was the forerunner who prepared the world for the Lord's actual physical entrance into the world, and Peter, James, and John, who were ordained in the presence of the Lord himself. As they entered his presence, he laid their, his hand on their heads and ordained them into the Melchizedek priesthood. So Peter, James, and John were, were the first people given the Melchizedek priesthood after it had been removed from Moses? No, 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 no. You still had—ooh, that's a great question. Because I have to believe that Elijah— uh, had had keys for for that he came back and restored right. I I still think there were some prophets that had it. I don't I don't know that I want to say that he was the last, especially in consideration that look at look at the Book of Mormon. Lehi and his family are not um, are not from Levi. They don't have the priesthood, at least not the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood. The priesthood that's exercised throughout the Book of Mormon is from a different order, the Melchizedek priesthood. So if we go back to, going back to your question about Moses and Aaron, Moses did have the Melchizedek priesthood, but he received it from Jethro, whose father-in-law, which came through a whole different line outside of Israel. So there were people that had Melchizedek priesthood outside of Israel. Melchizedek before him, right? And and Abraham. And, and, And so... That's one of those. That's one of those questions. What role did the Melchizedek priesthood play in Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament gospel? That I don't know that I have a great answer for, but it is a good question, and I and I have to suspect that there are some instances where you see that priesthood play out. But I but I could be wrong. Great question. But going back to this imagery, I I find it interesting that we see this preparing for Christ to come here and Christ being here, playing out through John the Baptist and then Peter, James, and John bringing the priesthood in this time. That, that, that to me, is why it makes sense. I like it. That does make sense. So, so just to kind of, like, put a bow on that, I feel like it's always kind of made sense that John the Baptist would be, bring back the Aaronic priesthood again, like, as the one who baptized Christ himself and, like you said, was, was kind of foreordained as the forerunner, you know, to to Jesus, 
I think that I was always confused about Peter, James, and John being the ones, again, like not only part of the the restoration, but again, like like when we see their role like in, in kind of like, um, you know, uh, other various ceremonies and things in the church, I've always kind of wondered why those three, but it makes sense if it's because in the presence of God, they were given the priesthood by the hands of God himself. Yeah. It really is entering that presence of God, I think. So then then as they're restoring the Melchizedek priesthood, I'm just saying that's a very short lineage tree back to God. And that's the cool thing. When you look at your priesthood line, yeah. I mean, from your dad, from his dad, or for whoever, it goes all the way back to Peter, James, and John, and then right up on the top, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ himself. Awesome. Okay. Next up, there's a, in Doctrine and Covenants section 13, when John the Baptist ordains... Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery to the Aaronic priesthood, he lays his hand on both of their heads, one hand on each, upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of the Messiah. Now, there's a few things that are interesting to me in how he does this. One is he's ordaining them to the Aaronic priesthood, but he tells them that this priesthood shall never again be taken from the earth until. The word until makes me think that this priesthood might might not have a purpose here anymore, or at least might not be here at some point in time in the future until the sons of Levi offer an offering unto the Lord in righteousness, at which point you have to wonder, what what then? If that happens, does the Aaronic priesthood go? It, it just puts a couple questions in my mind. And if the sons of Levi are offering an offering unto the Lord in righteousness— do they need do they need to be ordained to that priesthood to do it or or do they already have that priesthood i mean can they just can they just offer an offering tomorrow in israel and that fulfills the prophecy or do they have to be ordained through the restoration of the priesthood in today's day for that to happen when i look at this passage there's a few things that kind of pique my interest because notice that John does not say in the name of Jesus Christ. He says in the name of Messiah, Hamasiah. That's the Hebrew term for who the Jews are worshiping, the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 29, verse 9, it says, and the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, meaning they are it's their birthright they're born into it they don't have to necessarily be ordained they just have to be born and they have it so if they have it and they're offering it not in the name of Jesus Christ necessarily per se but in the name of the messiah who they already worship could they offer an offering today in righteousness outside of the the restoration of the priesthood as we know it and could that count to fulfill that prophecy? That's that's a question I have. And as I've, I've I've looked into this a little bit, there are over five hundred trained priests in Israel. They, they, they've they've established a school. There's a group of of Israelites who can trace their lineage back to Aaron, who who claim priesthood authority, who claim priestly office. Do they still have it because they're born with it? Would that count? And as I and as as I was thinking about this question, I had a few other thoughts that kind of that kind of came into my mind. 
When I look at Aaron, even though he has this priesthood, the reason why he has it is because it was conferred onto him by Moses. And you look at Moses. Moses isn't a descendant of Aaron. He's not holding the Aaronic priesthood. He was ordained, as we said just a second ago, by Jethro, his father-in-law, a different line and a different authority, this going back through you know, Melchizedek's side. Receiving this Melchizedek priesthood, even though Aaron's line has it, they're operating under the direction of Moses. And as I think of the organization of the church, it's kind of cool. And I look back at this time, and you've got Aaron and his priests. And even the Aaronic priesthood, it's not all just the same priesthood. There's really two different orders. You've got the, the order of Aaron, which is your priest, which are offering these sacrifices. But then you also have your Levites. They're, they're the ones that are descendants of Levi, but not descendants of Aaron. They still have the priesthood, but the Levitical priesthood is even lesser than the Aaronic in that these guys are the clerks, the, the, the ones that are keeping the records, the ones that are cleaning the temple, the ones that are doing a lot of these administrative roles while the priests are officiating. The high priest has to be a descendant of Aaron. He can go into the Holy of Holies once a year. So there's even this separation of duties within the Aaronic priesthood itself. But as I look at the organization of the church— and that they're working under direction. Jesus Christ, when he came here, he didn't just invent a new organization, but look at Moses, who worked closely with two counselors. And he had, he had the two hold up his arms on either side of him while he, while he prayed with his hands lifted up towards the heaven while the Israelites fought. He had these two counselors, but he also had a council of 12 one from each tribe of Israel, a prince of each tribe that would report to him. And then he also had 70 elders that he called up out of here. So you've got this presidency, you've got this 12, this quorum of 12, and you've got these 70 that had the spirit fall upon them that could prophesy. And you have this organization that existed even in the Old Testament. And before Moses... You had the patriarchals, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who stand almost as a head of the three families, uh, or excuse me, the, 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 well, I guess you, you do have these three families, the head of these three families, but under Jacob, then you have 12 sons. So you have these three presiding over the 12, and this idea that this patriarchal order, what it started at, kind of naturally evolved into this order in the, in the Melchizedek priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood that kind of plays out with Christ in the New Testament, and which we see restored now even today. It's the same church, the same organization, but always at the head, you had one person that presided or had those keys that worked in close concert, that I would think that any sacrifice that would be offered, if it's going to be offered in righteousness, would have to be under the direction of that person. And to me, that person today is President Nielsen. It's kind of a long way of going around explaining that, but that's just a few thoughts on how I see that and a couple interesting things as we see development in Israel. But it does, I, I don't know, if I could leave you with anything, it's to be open-minded. What, what, you've brought this question up, Nate, um, a while ago when we were talking. What is the purpose of the Aaronic priesthood if Christ is already here on the earth? Do we still need to prepare for him to come if he's here? If it's fulfilled, is that why the Revelation says, until the sons? Because at that point, the Aaronic priesthood is no longer, we, we don't need to be preparing for that. It's fulfilled its purpose. It's met its role. Now we live in the presence of God. So, love it. 
All right, thanks for listening to the show. Next week's episode, we're going to be talking about what a great and marvelous work means when we're saying that the field is white and ready to harvest. It always prefaces a great and marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. We'll explore that along with the powerful statement that Christ makes about who he is and what his work is in the last days. All right, until next week. See ya. See ya.